This morning, we're going to actually look at the third group of people, uh, and we're going to look at the Jews specifically, but, but I've entitled the message this morning, God's Judgment of the Religious. And the reason why I called it that is because this morning, we're going to see in verses 17 to 29 that the Jews, the Old Testament you know, nation of Israel, if anybody knew who God was, those guys knew who God was. Like they had creation, which we all have. They had a conscience, like we all have. But then they had God's revelation, God's specific commandments. I mean, they had the Ten Commandments. They had all the Old Testament scriptures. They had all the kings. They had all the history. And yet, even with all of that knowledge of God, many times they rejected God. You've read your Old Testament, right? And for us, look, I know that we are the church of Jesus Christ. We're the body of Christ. But many of us this morning are going to fall into this category because we actually would say this morning, we know who God is. We have his word, we have his body, the church, we have the ministry that, that David just reminded us of, the Great Commission, we have all the knowledge of God that we really need, and yet many times uh, we don't act in faith in what God's given us. And so I want you to pick it up in verse 17, let me read the passage, I'll pray, we'll make a few points. Uh, you got a lot of white space on your notes in your bulletin, there's a few points, but a lot of white space, and so if the Lord gives you something, feel free to write it down uh, as we study together. Pick it up in verse 17. So Paul goes on and he says in Romans 2 and verse 17, Behold, thou art called a Jew and restest in the law and makest thy boast of God and knowest his will and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law and are confident that thou art thyself a guide of the blind and a light to them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth of the law. Thou therefore which teachest another... Teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest, a man should not steal. Dost thou steal? Thou that sayest, a man should not commit adultery. Dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou, thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. For circumcision verily profiteth, if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keepeth the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? He's talking about the Gentile. And shall not, his, shall not circumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by letter and circumcision doth transgress the law? For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart and in the spirit and not in the letter, who, whose praise is not of men, but of God. And so kind of an interesting passage of scripture. Again, man, we don't skip passages around here. We come to it as it, as it lands and we preach it and teach it. And so uh, this morning we're going to see God's dealing and God's judgment against the Jew that had the revelation of God. And, and practically, how, how God looks at us as those that are religious, that have access to who the true God is, and what we do with it. God's really interested in what we do with it. So let's pray. We'll get started uh, in the book. Father, we love you, and, and thank you again for a great morning. Thank you for our brothers, uh, you know, the, David and his family being here. Thank you for our missionary being here. Just, uh, just excited to see all the faces, God, of all the people that you put him in contact with uh, in those schools. Thank you for favor. Um, that you give him through the administrations and through the superintendent. God, we pray for that whole school system and all the counties uh, that he, he is able to go in and, 
and share the gospel and build relationships. Father, help us, just like Josh said, to be mindful. We're, we're called to do the same thing uh, here at home. Uh, God, we need to be about your business. Uh, this morning as we study, help us to be attentive to your word. May your Holy Spirit teach us. Uh, Lord, I need you. I need you to get me out of the way and let your word have a, a perfect work in my heart and in, in our hearts uh, so that we can be more like Christ uh, after we're finished today. We love you and we give you the time. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so this, this morning, I want to start in point number one, and this is the point in your notes. Number one, I want to talk about the benefit of the Jews. The benefit of the Jews, or you could also say the benefit of those that are religious in the sense of, of us uh, being religious people. We're all gathered here uh, in a sense as religious people worshiping a God and uh, reading from his book and, and singing praise to him. So, so verse 17 says, because thou art called a Jew, and, and look at the things that Paul says about these Jews. Number one, he calls them a Jew. And, and so, uh, you know, most of you know the story back in Genesis. God came to a man named Abram. God made a covenant with Abraham, Abram who became Abraham. God made a promise to him that of him he was going to become a great nation. And all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. And so that's who we're dealing with. We're dealing with the Jews this morning. Psalm 135 and verse 4 says this, For the Lord hath chosen Jacob unto himself and Israel for his peculiar treasure. And so, again, we're seeing the difference between the Gentile and the Jew according to the Bible. Man, these Jews were chosen by God, not because they were mighty, not because they were better than anybody else. God just gave them favor. And God gave them favor to give the blessing of, of knowing the one true God to the multitudes of nations. Now look at what verses 17 to 20 says about these Jews. It says, number one, they resteth in the law. They had God's word. They made their boast of God. I mean, lots of people serve lots of different gods in the Old Testament, right? I mean, you read it. But these guys boasted that they knew and served the one true God. He is Jehovah God. He is the God of covenant. He is the God of Israel. And, and so they would boast that, hey, appreciate all you pagan Gentiles. You don't even know who you're worshiping. There's only one God, and he's our God, and we're his people. And it says that they knew God's will. It says that they approved the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of, out of the law. And it's interesting. I don't want to take a lot of time, but when you study that phrase, more excellent, the nation of Israel knew how to come to God because God gave them revelation on how to do that. You know, and so Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4, you guys remember the story in Genesis, Cain and Abel? Cain brought an offering to God. Abel brought an offering to God. God says that one of those offerings was more excellent than the other. Do you guys remember that? Abel's offering was a, a blood sacrifice, the firstling of his flock. Cain's offering was the fruit of the ground, the fruit of his hands. God says the blood sacrifice is more excellent than the work of your hands. Even in early Genesis, God is foreshadowing the blood atonement. Israel knew the things that were more excellent. They knew. Cain and Abel didn't even have a Bible, but they knew the, the story of Adam and Eve, their parents. And they knew that, that that lamb or that animal had to be sacrificed for the skins to cover Adam and Eve's nakedness. And so that blood atonement, that blood of sacrifice began and it was carried all the way through. And, and ultimately, Abraham and the nation of Israel, they knew what God required. They knew what was required to come to God in the right way. 
I mean, they had a lot of benefit. They, they knew God. It even says that these Jews, they were confident that they were guides of the blind. And there's a few adjectives that God's use, using here, a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness. All of those words point to the Gentiles that are lost, that don't know God. Gentiles that don't know God, they're, they're blind, they're in darkness, they're foolish. And Paul is saying, man, you guys are guides of the blind. You, you're confident, you're a light to those in darkness. You're an instructor of the foolish. You're a teacher of babes. Really, you kind of know the one true God. You got his word. You got all the history, right? You got the scriptures. We'll get into that next week. You're, you're to be a light to all these lost people, all these lost Gentiles, those in darkness and foolishness, those ignorant of the things of God. But, but I want to shift gears to point number two because despite the benefit, all of that benefit didn't change those Jews' behavior. And the second thing I want to show you this morning is the behavior of the Jews, or, or we would say the behavior of us as religious people. Because if you have all of those things, but it doesn't change the way you behave, isn't it all for naught? And the answer is yes. Look at verse 21. And, and so in those next few verses, there's going to be, in verses 21 to 23, there are going to be five questions that specifically apply to the Jew but practically apply to us. And what's interesting is I think these same five questions are, are going to be asked of the Jew at the judgment seat of Christ, the great white throne, excuse me, not the judgment seat of Christ, the great white throne judgment. You know, every man is going to stand and give an account to God for, for the revelation that he had. So there'll be Gentiles that stand in their lost state at the great white throne judgment, and they had creation and they had their conscience. And that's enough to make them realize that there is a God. And God is going to judge them based on the revelation they had. They're not gonna, he's not going to judge them based on what they didn't have. And he's still going to be able to prove that they are guilty in their sin because of what they had. Well, you know what's interesting? At the great white throne judgment, there are going to be Jews, I believe, that had all of the things that we talked about, all of God's word, all of God's revelation, all of God's history. And at the end of the day, none of that profited them at all. They didn't turn to the one true God. They boasted that they served God. They boasted they had God's word. But at the end of the day, it didn't change anything about them. You know, the danger is that it doesn't change anything about us. You can be really religious and really lost, just like the Jew. And the point in Romans 2 is that Jew or Gentile, we're all guilty before God. The point is we need a Savior. And so the Gentiles had creation and conscience, we saw it through Cornelius. If, we allow, if he allowed that to impact his life, God would send the revelation that he needed. But man, listen, the Jews, they had the Ten Commandments. They had the oracles of God. They had the cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. They had all the miracles. They saw the plagues in Egypt. They had the great kings, David and Solomon. They had the tabernacle, then the temple. How did that impact them? It just made them religious. Look at verse 21. So there's five questions. I think, I think there are five applicable questions for us today. Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? You know, the first question is, you, you have all of God's word, all of God's oracles, and you would even say that you're blind, a, a guide to the blind and those that are in darkness, a.k.a. the Gentiles. Hey, are you listening to what you're teaching? <laughs> Can I make it practical for you? I'll take silence as consent. Okay, look, <clears throat> every discipler, or to underline verse 21, 
every, te every teacher, every Sunday school leader, every person that opens God's word and teaches another person, you that teachest another, teach not thy thyself. In other words, are the words coming out of your mouth having any impact inwardly on your life? The first person who gets preached to in this church is the preacher. <laughs> and that happens the week, <laughs> the week in preparation, and then even when he's preaching, he's getting preached to. And, and that should always be the case for any of us. Do you not teach yourself? Look at the second question. Thou that preachest, a man should not steal. Dost thou steal? Does that, does that, does thou steal? Do you steal? I mean, you say you shouldn't steal, but do you steal? Verse 22, thou sayest a man should not commit adultery. Dost thou commit adultery? You say, no, man, I don't do that. Well, you know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 that if you look on a woman and lust after her, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So we've got a room full of adulterers this morning. Welcome to the crowd. Man, listen, we would say, hey, don't do that. But the truth is that we do that even in our heart. Fourth question, thou that abhorrest idols, does thou commit sacrilege? And, and that word is an interesting word, sacrilege. That's the only time it's found in the Bible. Uh, I think the, the, the definition of that word literally is like uh, robbers of things that have been consecrated to the Lord. Uh, you know, you, you steal things that, that should be holy and sanctified and set apart for God's usage. So this Jew would say, hey man, you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have idols. And the question is, hey, do you commit sacrilege? In other words, is your heart full of idolatry? You know, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5 tells us that covetousness is idolatry. And, and we're all guilty of that, right? Verse 23, thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? You know, here's the way we would say it even today. In our, and I'm talking generally about religious lost people, but I, there is an application for religious saved people here too. We would say we've got the right Bible. But how does that affect you? How does, how does, that, how does that have an impact in your life? Do you get dishonor God by breaking his word? I mean, listen, what profit is, you, is there to you if you have the law, but you continually break it? That dishonors God. And so, and so what we see is, man, the Jews had so much benefit and yet it didn't impact their behavior. And they're going to stand before God and give an account. Ultimately, your boast was in these things, but you needed, these things were to point you to the one true God and your need of a Savior. And, and it leads us to kind of our third point. When, when our behavior is not influenced by what we have, well, the truth is it results in blasphemy. And that's the third point. The third point is the blasphemy of the Jews, because verse 24 says, this is God's word to that nation. Because you had everything that I gave you, but it didn't impact your life, other people saw your hypocrisy, and they blasphemed my name. Verse 24, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles. There's those two people groups. Listen, through you, as it is written. So when, when we, again... Romans 1 and Romans 2 is to point us to our need for salvation in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Whether we are a Gentile that does not have God's word, all we have is creation and conscience, or whether we are, we are a Jew that has a tremendous lineage 
of, of historically walking with God and having the oracles of God, both parties are guilty and need to come to Christ. That's the point. Practically speaking, uh, when, when what we say doesn't match what we live, God's name is blasphemed. And, and, and listen, those Jews that knew God, they knew the law, they knew the commandments, they blasphemed God's name amongst the Gentiles, those that were in darkness, those that were blind, those that needed to see the light of God. And, and it's kind of interesting that he says, hey, as it is written. In, in other words, there's an instance where God's name was blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, Israel, through you, Jews. And, and you've got to ask the question, where was that written? Well, how many of you remember the story of David? You guys remember the story of David? There's lots of stories of David, lots of stories in David's life. But there's one key story that I think fits what we're talking about here. And it's his sin with Bathsheba. And David is, is, is Israel's king. David is a man after God's own heart. David is a man, according to the book of Psalms, that loves God's word more than silver, more than gold, more than his necessary food. I mean, he loves God. He's a man after God's own heart. And yet, and yet, he committed sin by taking Bathsheba. And, and you've read the story. He committed sin by premeditating the murder of her husband. I mean, he had a child outside of, of marriage. She, you know, fornicated and committed adultery. There's just a nasty story, gross story. When Nathan the prophet comes to confront David, and he, he gives him this hypothetical story and, and kind of zeroes in, hey, David, you're, you're the man. You're the one in sin. Here's a little bit of that exchange from Nathan and David. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13 says this, David said unto Nathan, thankfully David owned his sin, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. God's not going to kill you for this. Should he have killed him for that? According to the law, yes. God put that away from you. You shall not die. How be it, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. A child also that's born unto thee shall, shall surely die. I mean, David is Israel's, I mean, he is the, a great Old Testament type and picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he's also a great Old Testament type and picture of us who would say we love God's word, we want to walk with God, we want to please God, we want to do what God's called us to do. His sin had an effect on other people. So much so that those that didn't know the one true God Actually, it marred their vision or, or, or their, their, their perception of who God really was because of his sin. It creates blasphemy. And, and listen, you know this. In one of the greatest criticisms against Christianity today, or people that need to come to the one true God, is it one of the greatest criticisms about Christians and Bible believers in the 21st century? One of the greatest criticisms is they're all just a bunch of, gosh, you've heard that rumor too. You've heard that rumor too. We're all just a bunch of hypocrites. Because the way we live, uh, what we profess we believe, many times doesn't impact the way we live. It should impact the way we live. It should absolutely change the way we live. Those Jews, man, they had everything that God intended for them to have. And it ultimately was all to point them to Christ. And they just said, well, 
we're better than the rest of y'all because we have the Ten Commandments, we have the temple, we have the tabernacle, we have the, all these different things. We have the kings, we're Jews, and you're not. Guilty. Guilty. It didn't have an impact. The blasphemy of the Jews really is the same blasphemy that sometimes we create in our culture and our spheres of influence because the benefit of what we have, God's word, God's ministry, the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit, man, listen, it ought to impact us in a way that, that puts God's name on high in our community, in our school, amongst, amongst the lost people of this city, man. That's, that's the goal. God doesn't want us to be religious. He wants us to be right with him. And when we are, it has an impact with other people. And, and then the fourth point, uh, quickly, is this, the breaking of God's law. And, and this is an interesting part of the scripture, the breaking of God's law. And I got a few pages left, so I know that's your last blank, so don't go to sleep. But, you know, <laughs> the breaking of God's law. Go back to verse 25, and I want you to just look at what Paul says here. Because, again, chapter 2 is to show that the Gentiles are guilty, verses 1 to 16. And the Jews are guilty, too, verses 17 to 29. We're all guilty. So he says in verse 25, For circumcision verily profiteth, profiteth if thou keep the law. If is a conditional word. You know the story, man. Those Jews, man, they, they had the covenant of circumcision. They, they circumcised their, their children on the eighth day. It was a sign. It was a token of, the, of God's covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he says, look, physically, that circumcision profits you only if you keep the, wall, the, the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. In other words, if you are Jewish physically, but God's word has no effect on you or in you and you don't keep it, you're just like a Gentile. You're just like the uncircumcision. Those that don't even know God, don't have his word, don't have his oracles. Verse 26, therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, the uncircumcision would be the Gentiles, the lost world, the Gentiles that are not Jewish. If the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, by the way, they would do that through their conscience, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not the uncircumcision, which is by nature... If it fulfill the law, judge thee <laughs> who shall be, who by the letter in circumcision does transgress the law. And I know, man, that's, that's a lot of technical stuff in there. There's a lot going on in those verses. Here's the point. Being a Jew in the flesh, in other words, being of the circumcision, is only profitable if you keep the law. But if you break the law, the Bible says that, that the Jew's circumcision is made uncircumcision. He's no better than a Gentile who has God's creation and God's conscience. He has his own conscience that God put him in. He is, that Jew is no different than a Gentile that has creation and conscience and rebels against that. All guilty. Do you see how, you see how Paul is just kind of meticulously saying, you know what, you got all the right things. But if they don't point you to Christ, your circumcision is about as profitable as uncircumcision. It doesn't matter. It's not changing your life. It's not redirecting your life. I would say probably it's worse because the Jew has the specific revelation of God. 
He even says in that passage that those uncircumcised Gentiles are going to judge you. And that's an interesting study if you, if you have time for that. Their, their, uncircumcised, or excuse me, their, 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 their lack of belief in God's word, their lack of keeping God's law, it had an effect on the Gentiles. The Bible says that it caused them to blaspheme God's name. And then he, he peels off the last couple of verses here and he says this, He is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he's a Jew which is one, where? Inwardly. And the circumcision is that of the what? The heart in the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is, of, is not of men but of God. Okay, so quickly, you know, the Bible talks about two different types of Jews per se. One is a physical Jew, and that's kind of what we've been talking about, a Jew in the flesh, those that are of the 12 tribes of Israel, those that were circumcised in their flesh. They received the token of circumcision in their flesh. They had the law and the prophets. You know, those Old Testament Jews, listen, they were literally promised a physical kingdom, a physical land. God has literal physical promises to them, and God is going to keep those promises no matter what a Calvinist or a Catholic says about it. Nobody replaces physical Israel. They do not. God will keep those literal physical promises. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul gives us kind of this differentiation between literal Israel and, and kind of spiritual, so to speak. Uh, Ephesians 2 verse 11, he says, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past... Gentiles in the what? In the flesh. Gentiles in the flesh are uncircumcision, uncir uncircumcised, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Who is the circumcision in the flesh? Who is that? Who is the uncircumcision? The Gentiles. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's a good definition of the Gentile. That's who they are, and yet God has a heart for the Gentile. Okay? So the Jews had all those things, the physical promises, the physical blessing, the physical kingdom, and God's still going to fulfill that. But the second thing that Paul says is, you know, there is a spiritual Jew, and it's not one that's circumcised in the flesh, it's one that's circumcised inwardly, in the heart. His flesh has been cut away, but it's a spiritual operation. And listen, that happens. That, that's not just a New Testament principle, by the way. God was always after Israel's heart first. Do you understand that? God always wants your heart first. Uh, God, God wants your heart first. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verses uh, 15 to 16 the Bible says, only the Lord had a delight in thy fathers to love them, and he chose their seed after them, even you above all people, as it is to this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked. God wants your heart to be right with him. Jeremiah 4.4, 4, circumcise yourself to the Lord. Cut away from the flesh and separate yourself unto God. Circumcise yourself to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart. Heart, ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Okay, so, so there is an operation that, that is supposed to happen inwardly in our life. It was supposed to happen to the Jew. It, Jews over there. Jew. 
he's over there. The Gentile, as much as they had creation and conscience, they needed to be separated from their flesh inwardly. Man, those Jews were religious. They had all the right law, customs, traditions, history. They still needed a heart change. That comes through Christ at salvation. Colossians tells us that there is a circumcision made without hands. And Colossians chapter 2, verse 10 says this. You're complete in him, in Christ, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye, are, ye you all, are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, listen, in the putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. In other words, when you got saved, the Bible says that you were separated from your body of sins. You say, man, nothing happened there was a whole lot that happened when you got saved. God took the, 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 the surgical, sharp, precise sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and through the gospel of Jesus Christ, He cut you away from the sinful body of your sins and your flesh. You were separated from it. You're still in it, but you are separate from it. There was a spiritual operation that took place. And Paul says that is the circumcision made without hands. It is the circumcision of Christ. He performed it the moment you got saved. And so listen, your salvation, well, it's a lot of things, and I wish we had time, but we don't. You know, your salvation is a birth, John chapter 3. Your salvation is a circumcision. It happened at the same time. Your salvation is also a baptism. 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that we're baptized by one spirit into the body of Christ. And that's not water baptism, friends. That's spiritual baptism. The moment you get the Holy Spirit of God, which is when you believed in the gospel. So there's two types of Jews. There's a physical Jew. There's a spiritual Jew. Don't get the two confused. God still has significant promises physically for the nation of Israel. We understand that as we read the Bible by differentiating the kingdom of heaven versus the kingdom of God. Those two phrases are different. They're used different in your Bible. We understand why they're different. God has some promises for that physical nation. God has tremendous promises for those that are in Christ by a spiritual circumcision. All right, let's quit talking about circumcision because I'm tired of saying that word. <laughs> We're not done. <laughs> I told you, man, we don't skip the passage, but look, we, we have to deal with it. Here's the point. Here's the point in all this for us. Because if you're saved, you're neither Jew nor Gentile. The Bible says you are in Christ. You're part of the church, okay? We need to learn. We need to learn that before Christ, we were a lot like those Gentiles. We didn't, we didn't grow up Jewish in our culture. I don't think most of us in this room have that lineage So we went from an ignorance and a blindness and a foolishness to the things of God to now we have access to some things. We have access to God's word and, 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 his, and his law and his commandments and his ministry. And, and maybe you grew up in a Christian home and maybe you got really good at being religious, but that's got to impact you to come to Christ. You can't be real religious and rest in your religion. You have to rest in Christ, not in the law, not in your traditions, 
but in Christ. And that's the point of that Jew. Either way, the point is, if we are saved this morning, the truth is we're all religious. And the reality is we probably all have a little hypocrisy. That's why we're here. I mean, we're, we're not here because we have hypocrisy. We're here because we're religious, right? We worship God. We, we want to come here from his word. We would say this morning that we know who the one true God is. We would say this morning that we believe we hold God's word in our hand. We, be, we, would, we would even say that we are preachers and teachers to those who do not know God. That's the Great Commission. That's what we're called to do. Those who don't have the things that we have. And the practical application for us this morning is what we've learned from the Jews. Does that make us live different because of what we have? Not, not the fact that we have those things. There's nothing worse, man, that somebody walks around and says, man, I believe that this Bible is God's word, absolutely inspired and providentially preserved throughout the, the ages. There is nothing worse than somebody that makes that statement that lives no different because of that statement. As a matter of fact, it causes the name of God to be blasphemed among the lost. Man, listen, we have to ask ourselves, are the things that we have from God enough to impact our behavior, impact our life, impact our ministry, or, with respect, is the name of God blasphemed among the lost through us? You see, God gave us his word to live it. God gave us his word to obey it. God, God gave us his word to preach it and to teach it and to minister to other people on his behalf. But all go, go back to those previous verses. Thou that preachest, thou shalt not steal. Do you steal? Thou that sayest, you should not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? Is our faith really being fleshed out? Or are we just resting in the God that we know and the things that we have and not really allowing those things to change our, our behavior, our person? And, and again, man, listen, if, if you're saved today, you're not going to stand at the great white throne judgment where all sinners are going to stand. But we will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And God will remind us of what we did have. Specifically in this country, and specifically in this church, God will remind us, hey, you had the book. God will remind us, man, we, we had discipleship. God will remind us, hey, you had a ministry to accomplish. God will remind us, man, you had so-and-so invest in your life for years. You invested in other people for years. Listen, what, what, at the end of the day, how is God going to stand and ask an account of us? Well, he'll ask an account based on what we have. Let's be faithful stewards, church. Let's be faithful. Let's don't be on the receiving end of God's judgment of just religious people. Let's be faithful stewards of God's ministry as the body of Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. All right? That's the point. That's the practical application of what we can take away from that. Let's pray 